This is the Daily Signal podcast for Monday, July 26th. I'm Doug Blair. And I'm Virginia Allen. Mississippi mother Jennifer Booth was concerned when her nine-year-old came home from school and told her that she was not allowed to wear her face mask at school that read, Jesus loves me. The mother contacted the school but did not receive a clear answer as to why her daughter was not allowed to wear the mask expressing her faith. Jennifer and Alliance Defending Freedom attorney Tyson Langhofer join me today on the show to discuss why they chose to take legal action to stand up for religious freedom. We also read your letters to the editor and share a good news story about a father and son who used their knowledge of the sea to find and rescue a man overboard off the coast of North Carolina. Before we get to today's show, Doug and I want to tell you about the best job placement program for conservatives, the Heritage Foundation's Job Bank. The Heritage Job Bank connects conservatives of all career levels to jobs with conservative employers all over the country for free. If you sign up, the Job Bank will send you new job openings every week and invite you to their virtual job fairs and career seminars. The Job Bank team also offers one-on-one career consultations. Signing up is easy. Just go to heritage.org slash job bank and click on register today. Now stay tuned for today's show coming up next. I am so pleased to welcome to the show Mississippi mother Jennifer Booth, as well as Alliance Defending Freedom attorney Tyson Langhofer. Thank you all so much for being here. And thank you for having us. Yeah, so glad to be here. All right. So, Jennifer, let's let's start with you. This story that we're sharing today centers around the topic of religious freedom and expression, freedom of speech. And it all started, interestingly enough, with a face mask that read, Jesus loves me. Uh, So let's let's dive right in and share a little bit about your daughter. Your daughter's nine years old. Is that right? Yes, uh, she's nine years old. So um, tell us a little bit about her and uh, where she goes to school and share a little bit about your community, if you will. All right. Um, She's nine years old. She's going to fourth grade this year. Um, She's a rule follower. She's, you know, she was class favorite one year and superintendent scholar, straight A student, in fact, uh, when all this happened, she was at that same day she had received student of the month. <laughs> so, I mean, this she's a really good student. Um, we live in a small community um, in Braxton, Mississippi. Uh, really small, like 200, you know, I mean, it's not, I don't even think it's actually considered a city. I think it's, it's considered like a town or a village because of how small it is. Um, Everybody knows everybody. Everybody knows their grandma, where you grew up. They know where you live, you know, so um, so really small, tight-knit community in our area. So Lydia's your oldest, that's right? Um, She's actually the middle child. Um, I have a 17-year-old who's a senior this year in high school, and I have a six-year-old son who is a first grader this year. Oh, that's so fun. So uh, Lydia was getting ready to go back to school. And, uh, you know, during the pandemic, of course, when kids were going back, they had to wear face masks. And so, you know, you were talking with Lydia about this and she decided that she wanted a very special face mask. Tell us about that. Yeah, well, it was already kind of, you know, 
bad that they were going to have to wear masks to begin with. You know, it kind of takes away the personal expressions with their friends, and they're going to have to distance. So I wanted to get them a special mask made, you know, however they wanted it. Like, pick out your colors, what kind of designs do you want? And Lydia, she wanted something with Jesus on it, you know, so... We were thinking about different things to put on there, and I was like, well, about Jesus loves me? And she was like, yes, that's perfect. You know, so one of our good friends, she made it for her, and um, that's where we got it from was... That's so great. So she she gets the mask. It reads, Jesus loves me. I've seen a picture of it. It's a black mask and in pink letters, the Jesus loves me. Um, so she actually wore the mask to school for a little while before there was any issues, right? Yes, she had wore it for two or three months prior without any issue. And then all of a sudden one day, a computer lab teacher, she was like, you can't wear that. And she's like, you could, it has words on it. She said, you can't wear that. And Lydia got in the car that evening. She said, Mama, she said, I can't wear this mask because of the words on it. And I was like, no. I was like, there's no way. I was like, because I see teachers and children alike wearing words on their masks, you know, of all kinds. So I was like, there's no way that you can't wear this. So I kind of, you know, reached out to some friends, text them, uh, text some people that actually work at the school and trying to see, you know, if there was any, you know, thing to this. And anyways, uh, they didn't ever hear of that rule either. So I sent her back with it thinking maybe the Jesus was just kind of hitting a nerve or something with that teacher that day you know I was like well maybe she was a little convicted (laughs) you know yeah so this is a public school but still uh you know under under our our free speech freedom of religion students even in public schools are still allowed you know to express their their faith so uh Tyson Langhofer, you're an attorney with Alliance Defending Freedom. You're involved in this case. Uh, so share just a little bit from, from that perspective, you know, the rights that students have even in public schools to, to still have that free expression. Sure. So the Supreme Court's uh, made very clear on a number of occasions that students and teachers don't shed their constitutional freedoms when they cross the schoolhouse gates. Um, And and that's very clear. Now, obviously, there um, are certain types of rules when you're in a school setting um, that, you know, students aren't allowed to stand on their desk and scream to disrupt, you know, the educational process. But if the school allows uh, individuals to express themselves through, you know, uh, words on their shirts or words on their masks, or other types of of, uh, communication uh, messages. They cannot discriminate against religious speech if they allow others to express secular messages in similar manners. Thank you. All right. So, Jennifer, let's get back to your story a little bit, your and your daughter Lydia's story. So she wears the mask that says Jesus loves me to school. One of the teachers, after wearing it for several months, says you can't wear that. Your assumption is that teacher must have been having a bad day. I'm going to send my daughter back to school with that mask. So Lydia goes back to school with the mask. What happens next? Um, That morning, the principal calls me and she's like, we're going to have to have Lydia swap her mask out. And she said it is against our policy for her to have religious symbols or gestures on her on her mask. And I was like, really? I was like, you're going to 
need to show me that in your handbook because I've looked through it. I've looked through everything. I was like, and I don't see it. So we literally go hand in hand through the handbook and she's, she's like, I know it's in here somewhere. And she's flipping through and she gets to the dress code, which, which you would assume, you know, would be the policy. Um, so the only thing she can point me to is like the drug culture, profanity, you know, obscenities. And I was like, I'm sorry, but Jesus isn't in these categories and you're going to have to give me a solid policy. You know, you can't just decide you're going to censor, censor Lydia. So she was like, well, I'm going to get back with the district office because I know it's in there. All right. So. Uh, continue. I'm really upset. I'm calling my husband. He's making some phone calls, you know, and I'm digging even deeper into the policies and I'm looking through emails. I'm like, there's no way that this is happening. You know, you're just in shock because we're in the Bible belt. You know, you just not something you expect. I mean, you see it on media, but you're like, that ain't ever going to happen here. You know, not here. Yeah. So um, I actually see the quite opposite in their own handbook where they recognize the 2016 Mississippi Student Religious Freedom Act, which is our state level law that protects students freedom of speech as far as uh, expressing their religious view in their work or in anything, you know, um, as long as they're not being you know, disruptive about it. And then on the very next page they have where they recognize the students for uh, freedom of speech. So here in their policy, they have the recognition of their state law and the federal law that's protecting her. And so I email them and I email the principal and the superintendent. And then I CC her teacher, her main teacher, just to kind of keep her in the loop. And, um, I'm just like, hey, y'all need to give her her mask back, and you need to apologize because she didn't do anything wrong in this case, you know. And um, she, the principal, emails back. She's like, I'm forwarding this to district office. I'm like, well, district office was already on there, but okay, <laughs> you know. So I pick up Lydia, and she is still in the replacement mask. Um, she has a black mask with a panda bear on it, you know. And I'm sitting here thinking, well, that could be offensive because. Isn't it from China? <laughs> you know, but uh, anyways, you know, so the next day was a virtual day for us and, you know, complete silence from the school, never heard back from the district office, never heard back from the principal. And so I was recommended to reach out to the assistant superintendent at that time. And so I shot him an email. Uh, that way I could have my clear thoughts, you know, all lined up. And I just kind of asked him, you know, um, y'all are saying my child wasn't singled out, but how often do your administrators go hunting down a nine-year-old looking for a specific room, a specific child with a specific mask that says Jesus loves me on it? You know, I was like, that's pretty singled out to me. You know, and I was told them how they were directly violating her rights and that they actually shown that they recognized those rights and that policy and there was nothing that said that she couldn't have words on her mask and there was nothing that said that she couldn't have religious things on her mask even if it was it still be a problem <laughs> but it was something you would have recognized you know like what is this I've never heard of this but anyways he calls me and um, he does tell he admits to me on that phone call that it was not in the handbook and it was not policy and I'm like 
duh, <laughs> I know this. Uh, you know, at this point, I'm thinking I might know it a little bit better than they do. Um, but he tells me that it's in the restart plan, which was some COVID measures that were sent out at the beginning of the school year to kind of tell us, you know, lay out the bus plan, you know, where they would be wearing masks and how often and the social distance and just how everything would work and the schedules. So he said, you know, it was on the district page, but it was no longer up there. So he was going to email me a copy. I was like, okay. So he emails me a copy of the restart plan. The restart plan, uh, when I scroll down to the mask area, it has uh, verbiage for political, religious, obscenities, uh, sexual gestures or words on the masks. And I was like... There is no way that I missed this, you know, especially with the year with COVID, you know, you're you're paying a little special extra special attention to the masking because I wanted to know, you know, how often they were going to be wearing it and were they going to get breaks and different things like that. And um, I was like, there's no way. And I really felt like God was just like, Jennifer, there's more to this. And he wanted me to look into, he was like, let's see if the document that he said that was originally posted is still archived on the district site. Mm -hmm. So, you know, sometimes when you take something down, like the person that's controlling the website will kind of put it not on the forefront, but it'll still be there. Yeah. So when I looked, it was there. And so I pulled it up, and I'm looking at the one that he sent me and the one that was originally posted at the beginning of the school year, and I scroll down, and that verbiage isn't there. So I'm like, what? <laughs> you know, I was like, I was like, I knew I didn't see it, but this is this is crazy. Like, why did it, why is that there now? You know, you're looking and, at these documents, and they're two different documents. Two different, yeah. That and that was the only difference was that verbiage about the type of mask that they could wear. And then God's like, okay, there's more to this, Jennifer. And that at that point, I was like, you know, there's data that's associated to a document when you create it, when you modify it, and when you send it to somebody. And so I actually make my living in IT for a local hospital. And so we kind of think of things a little different. It's really easy to get, but people don't think about it, you know. So I went and I looked at the metadata for the document that he had sent me. And it, what it tells you is it tells you the application they used. He used PowerPoint 2016. Um, his license was tied to his name, so it had his name on there. And then it showed the date and the time that he had modified it, which was 30 minutes before he called me. So if you can imagine the devastation that you're like what kind of lengths would these people go to, <laughs> you know, in this situation, it's... It's insane to think, you know. Yeah, that's a lot of shock in that moment of they are going to great lengths. Uh, So what what was running through your head in that moment when you realized they actually modified this document? What it appears like they modified this document specifically just to send it to me so that they could get themselves maybe out of hot water. Yeah, and it's really just devastating and you're thinking, okay, these people are in charge of my child. They are supposed to be protecting my child. 
whenever I can't be there. They're supposed to be role models, and here they are. You know, not only are they violating the rights they're supposed to be teaching her at the school, but they're also... uh, that there's a complete lack of integrity. They're not taking responsibility and showing my child the way that an adult should act, you know, in the way that I expect my children to act, you know. So it's, I have a million things going through my head. I'm like, okay, Lord, what else do you have? You know, I'm like, do I need to take my kid out of school and homeschool them? You know, because now I'm worried if they will go to that extent, what else will they do? You know, is my child safe? Are they going to retaliate against my child now? You know, and um, I went to church that night crying, (laughs) you know, because it was Wednesday night. And um, I was telling my church family about it. And my pastor was like, hold on a minute. So he texted our local Southern Baptist Association. It's a group of pastors and leaders in the church. And one of them actually suggested that I contact ADF Mm -hmm. and prayed about it. I didn't do it immediately. I prayed about it and uh, me and and my husband discussed it, you know, through the night. And then we uh, put in the request the next day or it may even been the day prior after that. But yeah. Thank you so much for sharing with us. Really, really appreciate that. So Tyson, I want to pull you in here. So you work with Alliance Defending Freedom, Christian legal group. You all represent uh, all sorts of individuals around freedom of speech, religious freedom. Um, So talk a little bit about, you know, when you heard Jennifer's story and kind of how the process decided of, okay, we actually do need to take legal action here. Yeah, well, the most surprising thing about Jennifer's story to me, and and, and the sad thing, is that not only did they not have a policy, they'd modified the policy to, or, you know, purported to modify the policy to address that situation, but... The, the sad thing is that this this uh, school official actually thought that was going to make it better. It didn't make it better. It made it worse. Why did it make it worse? Because they targeted political and religious speech. All right. And if you know anything about the First Amendment at all, you know that the worst thing you can do as a government official is to target certain content of certain speech, the viewpoint of certain speech. And so what it tells you is there's a lack of understanding in our government officials about what our fundamental rights are. The fundamental rights protected by the First Amendment, the right to engage in the free exercise of religion, the right to engage in free speech, and the right to prohibit the government from telling you what you can and can't say on a specific topic. So that's what's the most concerning is that they went to those links thinking, oh, I'll make this better. I'll just modify this policy, you know, and they modify it to make it worse. Um, and, and, you know, what's what's sad, as Jennifer said, is these are the individuals that are supposed to teach our next generation. The Supreme Court just issued an opinion last uh, th- this term on a topic of a high school speech and the 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 majority opinion said this our schools are the nurseries of democracy without if our representative democracy does not protect the marketplace of ideas it will cease to function so what they're teaching people you know the next generation like lydia 
is that the government has the right to censor your speech if they don't like it or if other people are uncomfortable with it. That's the wrong message that we're supposed to be sending. And so when I heard that message, I, I mean, I, whenever I hear these, I mean, I get a lot of inquiries. I'm like, well, that can't be the case. Like, seriously, are, are we really, you know, is that really what's happened? But I, I, I reviewed all the information and Jennifer was absolutely right. You know, they not only had this policy in writing, but they had modified it to, to do that. And they had targeted specifically Lydia. Um, and, you know, so we gave them the opportunity to say, like, hey, do you want to back down? And, and they didn't back down, unfortunately, you know. Um, and so we had to file a lawsuit. And after we filed the lawsuit, you know, they um, they finally said, OK, Lydia can wear the masks, uh, you know, to school and, and we'll remove, you know, this prohibition on religious and political speech, but they haven't acknowledged that what they did to Liddy was wrong. And, and so they're continuing to send this message to the students that what the school did was right and what Lydia did was wrong. And that's not right. And, and that's why we continue to fight because we want to show Lydia that um, this is the right thing to do, To that she stood up and she was right, and that the, the, the government protects those rights. Yeah. So share a little bit about where the lawsuit stands right now, and ultimately what, what is that end objective? Yeah, so the end objective, again, they've, they've modified the policy, um, and they've allowed Lydia to wear the, the, the mask, so that's great. But what they haven't done is they've not acknowledged that, that what Lydia did, or what they did to Lydia was wrong. And so we're waiting, we, we essentially asked them. We've, we wanted to settle uh, and then have them to, uh, you know, to acknowledge that, but they haven't. And so we're, uh, we're proceeding with the, the court, uh, with the lawsuit. We are waiting the, on the judge to rule on a motion. Um, and uh, if, if that motion's ruled in our favor, then we'll proceed with the lawsuit. Okay, great. So Jennifer, obviously this, you know, it's no small thing to decide, okay, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to stand up I'm going to make my voice heard, and I'm going to take a, a really bold step here for religious freedom, for religious speech. Uh, why did you decide, okay, it's, you know, it's worth you know, whatever costs may come for me to kind of put a stake in the ground here? And you know, any time you engage in, in a lawsuit, you're bringing your whole family with you. That's, that's a big decision. Why did you decide to make that choice? Um, one because of the conviction that I'd had, um, God pretty much aligned everything. I'm sorry, I might get emotional. <laughs> I always do. <laughs> but um, not only did he give it, give me everything, but he, I mean, he gave us our lawyers. And uh, he, uh, if I wouldn't have uh, kept going with this and stood with Lydia, not only the uh, long-term repercussions that she could have, because here we are, we're Christians, and then I allow somebody to do something like that to her. What does that do to her faith as an adult? You know, um, I don't know if you realize, but, you know, uh, a lot of atheists, um, were Christians or grew up in Christian homes and experienced something like that initially. So not only for that, but um, to protect um, her and my other kids and my grandkids and everybody else's kids, you know, because this year is the mask, next year is the T-shirt, and eventually you can't say Jesus' name in the school. And that's exactly um, 
what we're called to do as Christians is share the gospel. And if we can't do that, you know, what do we have? And if you think back, um, when prayer was taken out of school, it took one person. And if everybody would have stood up against that one person, where would our school systems be today? Because I don't know about y'all, but whenever I was growing up, we had devotion and prayer every morning, and we said the pledge. And look how fast um, our school systems have just deteriorated over time. You know, no, no respect for country and for our freedoms and no respect for God. If you look in the media, I mean, so I want them to know that they're going to have to do the same thing and we have to fight for what all of our ancestors fought for us to ha- so hard for us to have. Wow. Thank you, Jennifer, for sharing that. It's, I'm sorry. No, don't apologize for crying. It's really, really beautiful. Um, it's really beautiful to see a mom <laughs> that is, uh, is so... Is, is thinking in the way that you're thinking, that is thinking about your kids' future, that's thinking about your grandchildren, and what what are we leaving them? What is what is the country that we want them to inherit, and how how are we modeling freedom to them? What does that look yes. like? Um, that's a really, really big deal. How how has this journey affected your family and, and even your relationship with Lydia? Um, it's really been a roller coaster <laughs> of emotions because, you know, um, it's really not easy. You know, it's really stressful, <laughs> you know, to have to deal with all the things, you know, like uh, having to talk to media and then you get, you know, you have little negative Nancy's, <laughs> you know, like um, I've read some comments, you know, where. Oh, that was really blown out of proportion. And I was like, yeah, the school blew it out of proportion. You know, I'm like, she had a positive message and they went after her. She didn't do go after anybody, you know, and just stuff like that. And then, but it all becomes worth it because, you know, amongst that, we've had a lot of love and support from our community and from really across the nation. We've had thousands of letters. And I've read comments, you know, on her story, like with the Unmasked article, you know, where an atheist was like, hey, you know, I don't believe in God, but he was like, I can back Lydia up because she has the right to do this. And, I was, and I'm sitting here thinking, you know, that might be the only piece of God that he ever reads about or experiences. And if that plants a seed, then it was worth all of it. And my family, you know, they're all, you know, just in amazement of how God took a censorship of her on a school level and to the magnitude that he's used it and put his name everywhere now, (laughs) you know, it went from that little bit and, you know, he just takes it and just runs with it. And you're just like, whoa, (laughs) didn't expect it. And it's just amazing to see him work like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's encouraging. The Lord's good at doing that, taking small things. (laughs) He does. (laughs) Does it? Wow. So, uh, 
Tyson, are, are you optimistic about, you know, this case and, and where it's headed? Um, and talk a little bit about, you know, why, why is this case so critical to, you know, not just what's happening, you know, at Lydia's school, but really across the nation? Uh, I am optimistic about the case. The, the law is strong, um, as, as Jennifer indicated. Not only do we have the First Amendment, but Mississippi has a really strong law that protects students' religious speech on campus, and it's actually mentioned in their policy. So we're right on the law, and, I, and I'm confident that we're going to win um, that case. But it's important not because of, of the principle, um, because that principle is there, but the, the issue that's important is we have to have individuals like Lydia that are willing to speak the truth, Regardless of the consequences, we have to have people like Jennifer, who's parent as a parent of Lydia and says, I'm going to stand for this. We're going to protect this freedom. This freedom is vital to who we are as Americans, and we must protect it. And we must stand up for the rights, not only for what of what we believe, but for everybody to express those beliefs. This is a this is a universal belief. It should not be controversial to allow a little girl to wear Jesus loves me on her mask. And we should support the people that want to wear contrary messages on their masks because that's what makes us America uh, America and, and Americans and, and the rights that we have and we have to stand up for those rights every generation has to fight for those rights absolutely Jennifer Tyson thank you both so much for your time we really really appreciate it and Jennifer to you and Lydia and your whole family thank you for being willing uh, to stand up and really put a stake in the ground on this issue yes thank you thanks so much for having us Sergey. Virginia Allen here. I want to tell you all about one of my favorite podcasts. Heritage Explains is a weekly podcast that breaks down all the policy issues we hear about in the news at a 101 level. Hosts Michelle Cordero and Tim Desher mix in news clips and music to tell a story, but also bring in heritage experts to help break down complex issues. Heritage Explains offers quick 10 to 15 minute explainers that bring you up to speed in an entertaining way. You can find them on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. We even put the full episode on YouTube. Thanks for sending us your letters to the editor. Each Monday, we feature our favorites right here on this show. Doug, who's up first? In response to Rachel Del Judas's piece, Life on a Border Ranch, Cut Water Lines, Down Fences, Stolen Property, Dead Bodies, Timothy Evans writes, I enjoyed the article regarding the Lad Ranch. It paints a firsthand account of the struggles these ranchers have dealing with this unchecked illegal border crossing. I would be frightened not knowing who is going to be knocking on my door or sleeping in my barn or worse, dead on my ranch. Yet, Mr. Ladd says he helps some of the illegals and then calls authorities. It says a lot about his character. Thanks for the article. And Barb Rosenblum writes, Dear Daily Signal, I am a new reader of thedailysignal.com and am highly impressed, thankful, and shocked by all that is going on in the world around us and how few media outlets are discussing it. I am looking to find a way to obtain more information from my daughter's college regarding teaching on critical race theory and many of my other concerns. I just want to say thanks to all who put the Daily Signal together. I am excited and look forward to seeing new information in my inbox each day. Thanks so much, Barb. And to all of our listeners, if you want to receive top news updates from the Daily Signal 
each morning, you can sign up for the Daily Signal's Morning Bell email newsletter. Just visit dailysignal.com and click on the connect button in the top of the page. Your letter could be featured on next week's show, so send an email over to letters at dailysignal.com. The Heritage Foundation has a new website to combat critical race theory. CRT, as it's known, makes race the centerpiece of all aspects of American life. It categorizes individuals into groups of oppressors and victims. The idea is infiltrating everything from our politics and education to the workplace and even our military. Heritage has pulled together the resources that you need to identify CRT in your community and the ways to fight it. We also have a legislation tracker so you can see what's happening in your state. Visit heritage.org CRT to learn more. Heritage Foundation media intern Bernadette Breslin joins us again today to share a good news story. Bernadette, over to you. We've all experienced those family vacations where something unexpected is thrown into the mix of our itineraries. This was the case for one father-son duo who found themselves in the midst of an impromptu rescue mission off the coast of their top sail beach vacation home in North Carolina. Jack Sherman and his dad, Andrew Sherman, were fishing off the coast of Wrightsville Beach when a neighboring boat nearly collided with their stationary boat. After seeing no sign of a captain, Jack and Andrew decided to take matters into their own hands and board the lone ship to investigate. We are out here and just found uh, this Parker running. No one is on board. The Shermans alerted the Coast Guard after finding the presumed captain of the ship's wallet and ID on his boat. Jack, a current Naval Academy student, knew each second would be vital in finding the missing captain, who had evidently fallen overboard. Jack told the Epoch Times in a telephone interview that he opened the missing captain's GPS and looked at tracks and places he had been earlier in the day, and using that information, followed his backtrack. The Shermans went on to find a pair of floating shoes 30 minutes into their search, and eventually noticed distant splashing an additional 30 minutes later. The missing captain, Sasha Scheller, who Jack estimated waited alone in water for upwards of two and a half hours, was understandably thankful when rescued by the Shermans. For me, I was kind of able to fall back on super stress-induced methods of thinking, Jack explained when asked how he kept his cool throughout the mission. Sasha took to Facebook the following day, stressing the potential dangers the ocean poses even to experienced fishermen like himself. He hopes his story will prevent future offshore fishing mishaps. Both Sasha and the Shermans were thankful for the successful rescue mission that day, as well as their newfound serendipitous friendship. And we here at Daily Signal are continually thankful for our future military leaders who apply their skills in real-world situations to help those in need. Bernadette, thank you so much for sharing that encouraging and heartwarming story. We really appreciate that. We're going to leave it there for today. You can find the Daily Signal podcast on the Ricochet Audio Network. All our shows can be found at dailysignal.com slash podcast. You can also subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or your favorite podcast app. And be sure to listen every weekday by adding the Daily Signal podcast as part of your Alexa flash briefing. If you like what you hear, please leave us a review and a five-star rating. It means a lot to us and helps us spread the word to other listeners. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Daily Signal and at facebook.com slash the Daily Signal News. Have a great week. 
The Daily Signal podcast is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is executive produced by Rob Bluey and Virginia Allen. Sound designed by Lauren Evans, Mark Guiney, and John Pop. For more information, visit DailySignal.com.